welcome to The Bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. Britain is all but in recession. Our productivity is in the doldrums and has been for a long time. We've fallen behind other European countries. The solution, according to the short-lived phenomenon of trussonomics, was to cut taxes, especially for the richest, and make Britain a more attractive place to do business. We all know what happened to that plan. But if cutting taxes isn't the solution to our problems, what is? Greg Thwaites is an economist and research director at the Resolution Foundation, which focuses on improving the living standards of people on low and middle incomes. Welcome to The Bunker, Greg. Thanks for having me. First of all, tell us, what what exactly is productivity? How do we measure it? So productivity is the amount of goods or services that a person or a firm or a country or the whole world produces for every bit of work done. So for example, that could be GDP, which is the value of goods and services produced by a country per hour worked. And are there other ways of measuring productivity? Yes. So you can, rather than measuring it per hour, you could measure it per day or per person or per worker. Uh, You can consider measures of output other than just GDP. So GDP is the value of goods and services that are transacted in the market. Uh, but that misses lots of out, misses out lots of really important things which aren't transacted in the market. So all of the unpaid work that gets done by people, especially women in, in the economy, is left out of GDP and therefore it's left out of the productivity figures. And then, of course, when you measure these things, you need to take account of the prices. You'll see, for example, when you read a, an old novel that things seem or you play Monopoly, things seem very cheap. So you can buy Old Kent Road for 60 quid you know, £50 was an awful lot in a in a Jane Austen novel. So you need to take account of how prices have changed over time. And then you also need to take account of how prices are different in different places. So for example, if a, a hairdresser, um, I, I don't know, I'm, I don't know if you can see me, but I'm a very bald man. I don't know why I choose this example. If a hairdresser makes 20 or £30 uh, per hour in London, and maybe uh, 15 or 20 in Newcastle, it could be because he or she is cutting hair faster or it could be that he or she is just charging more. So you need to take account of prices. That's one of the things that's really fiddly when you try and measure these things. It's not a new thing for British productivity to be bad. It's not something that's emerged in the last few years. It's been going on for ages, hasn't it? Why do we know why British productivity is so poor mm. compared to, say, France or Germany? So when you look in a very, very long term, there was little to no productivity growth for most of human history. And then something funny happened about 250 years ago, the Industrial Revolution began. It began pretty much first in in the United Kingdom. And we were the most productive country in the world throughout most of the 19th century. And then uh, certainly the most productive large country in the world. And then we were overtaken by the Americans uh, early in the 20th century uh, or around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, And then we were overtaken by uh, Western European countries in the post-war period, so in the 60s or the 70s, depending on which country you're looking at. We started to catch up again with the US uh, and started to catch up with France and Germany as well. Uh, And the the 90s and the 80s were a a period of good catch-up for the UK. And then they've been pulling away from us again uh, since the mid-2000s, since about 2004 for America, 2007 for France and Germany. So these countries are now about one-sixth more productive than the UK. So Basically, uh, what the average UK worker can produce uh, in an hour 
it takes the average French or German or American worker maybe 10 minutes less to produce. What was it that happened in the 80s and 90s that made us more productive then? Or was it merely a matter of comparison where France and Germany weren't as productive as they are now? So there are lots of different things going on. And I should preface all of this while by saying that while productivity is quite difficult to define, even harder to measure, it's like super, super difficult to explain. So this is something that and, you know, in, when I say explain, I don't mean explain to you. I mean to explain the differences across countries or across firms or over time. So what I'm going to do now is give you the state of knowledge as it currently stands and, and just try not to overclaim about the state of our knowledge. With that being said, uh, there are some really important things happening in the, in the 1980s. So one is that lots of uh, unproductive firms and industries went bust. These people weren't working at all. And what was left was more productive firms. So we de-industrialized very quickly. That happened especially to relatively less productive firms. I'm not saying whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it was obviously very difficult for the people involved in those communities. But it has the simple effect of raising productivity if you take lower productivity firms or workers out of the equation. We specialized more in some industries that we're, we're, we're relatively strong in. So we had big boom in, in, in services. We liberalized trade with the world, uh, especially with the, the European, what's now the European Union. And we were, of course, part of that then. Trade is very good for productivity because it enables people to specialize in, in what they're best at. So there were, there are a number of different things going on. We also, um, increased the number of people who were university educated. That has had a bit of an effect. So, so there were lots of different things going on at the time. And, and we had a good period of productivity growth in the 80s and the 90s. And then what happened in the millennium? So the big turning point for the UK was the financial crisis. It seems that productivity started to slow a bit earlier than that in the US. But the big turning point for us in the UK was 2007. And since then, we've, we've done really very badly indeed. And most of the growth that we have had in the economy hasn't come from people getting more productive, which is where it normally comes from. But it's come instead from people doing more work. So they, there's two ways that you can have more output. You either produce more per hour or you produce or you work for more hours. And as a country, it's more the latter that we've been doing in, in the past, uh, what is it now, 15, 16 years. Now, I, I think uh, like this is an extremely controversial area and one that we know uh, not very much about, but there's a, f uh, there's a few things going on. One is that uh, a couple of industries that have been doing really, really well in productivity terms, like, uh, like financial services, contracted and, and, and never, really, never really recovered. Another is that um, firms which were hit by the credit crunch that resulted from the financial crisis, they weren't able to borrow money and invest as easily as they used to be able to. There's, there's evidence, like international evidence, that firms that, which were hit harder by the credit crunch, their productivity grew, grew by less. Then around the middle of the last decade, there was a referendum on whether or not we were going to be a member of the European Union. We all know the result of that uh, in terms of what the vote was. And uh, after that time, investment, which is firms buying more machines, investing in new ideas, buying more equipment, building buildings, that really slowed down. Uh, and, and that's a big driver of productivity in the long run. So when firms buy better machines uh, or, or equipment for their workers or invest in better processes, uh, and software that makes their workers more productive. That really slowed down after the referendum. Then very recently, we've had all of the fun and games from COVID. 
so there was a kind of a temporary negative effect from COVID, uh, and and that is because it just got a lot fiddlier to 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 do work, didn't it? Uh, during the pandemic, there was lots of washing of hands and sanitizing of things, and these things all added costs to businesses. Businesses also weren't able to invest in their in their processes and their ideas when they were running around trying to figure out how to cope with a lockdown. To summarize, it's kind of murder on the Orient Express, like everybody did it. What's immigration got to do with this as well? Because you mm. talk about when it, businesses invest in better machinery and software and so on, they become more productive. Is there a risk, and is this what happened perhaps, that businesses instead just recruit more people, perhaps for not very much money, but don't invest? Did we actually see that happening? There's a lot of anecdotal evidence about that, but, but not very much hard evidence that that's true. It's easy to see the argument, to consider the argument, the argument would be to take the classic example uh, of car washes. I remember when I was a kid, I used to really love it when the, on the rare occasions we got our car washed because I'd go and sit in the car wash. It was this amazing machine that washed your car for you and the very vivid memories from when I'm a child. And now, if I was ever to go and get my car washed, I really should do one of these days. Uh, it's often done by people rather than by a machine. So it feels like in a way we've gone backwards on car washes. Why is that? It could be because there are lots of uh, mostly young men, um, mostly from other countries, willing to do this work for less than it costs the machine. And so that's the kind of thing which you, you might see more of in um, in an economy with lots of immigration. It, it's There isn't a huge amount of evidence that that's like a, a, a big driver. And it's, it's worth noticing, noticing a couple of things here. One is that right at the other end of the labour market, uh, immigrants are disproportionately likely to start businesses, invent things, uh, be entrepreneurs, uh, and, you know, uh, earn, earn, in some cases, very high incomes. So the UK is blessed with or receives, you know, migrants right across the earnings distribution, including people who wash cars. And they, of course, they work very hard, but also people who um, start businesses, invent things, earn high salaries working in the city and so on. And, and those people will tend to push up on, on productivity. Most other European and, and, and indeed high income countries around the world have seen lots of immigration. The most productive large country in the world is the US. And, and that has lots of migrants. So if it is a barrier to high productivity, and I'm not sure that it is, it can't be an absolute one, can it? Let's talk about different parts of Britain, because Britain is a very different place. And the southeast and London are more productive, I think, than other parts of the country. What are the differences that we see here and, and how, how do they happen? So the differences are very large um, and they're very persistent and they're bigger in the UK than they are in com other comparable countries. So if you compare us, we're quite, we're quite like France in some respects, in the sense that the UK is dominated by one very large and very productive city. And so, so is France. And this isn't true, by the way, in countries like um, Italy or Germany. That, that has a lot to do with history. So the UK uh, and certainly England, and then also the France. These are ancient countries. They've been around in, in something like their present form for close to a thousand years. Of course, you know the UK's grown more recently since then. But but they they're kind of dominated by these ancient capital cities. Whereas countries like Italy and Germany, they're 150, 160 years old in their in their present form. Um, obviously, much less if you count the reunification period of Germany. And they're kind of more economically and in a population sense decentralized. Um, so you'll see in, in Germany and Italy, 
more medium-sized cities, but not one huge one that's that's very productive. France has uh, France's second biggest city, Lyon, is much more productive than than our second biggest city, Manchester. And so, what we've what we've got in the UK is we've got some quite big, not very productive cities and and conurbations. So, the West Midlands and Manchester really are, are a long way off the pace of, of cities like London, especially, but also places like Milton Keynes, Swindon, Edinburgh, which are productive but quite small places in the UK. So that's like what the picture looks like. And it's been like that for some time. It's got something to do with the speed and nature of deindustrialization in the UK and what it was replaced with. So deindustrialization happened to a greater extent in the UK than in, in many other countries. Uh, and so we're relatively unindustrialized. And some places really managed to reinvent themselves, uh, including but not limited to London, You know, also uh, places like Edinburgh and some university towns, but then some places didn't manage to reinvent themselves so well and didn't replace industry with, with other things. And, and then what you see now is you see big differences in where people go when they graduate, where high income immigrants immigrate to. So London's very much a magnet for more graduates in the UK and more high income international migrants. So this uh, has been going on for some time and it, it's very difficult to shift, but it's very important to shift in the UK because you can liken the UK a bit like a jet engine, like a passenger jet that's just flying on one engine. And that's not like healthy or safe uh, for the country to to be like that. And it's not um, you know fair or equitable for the people who live in other parts of the country for them to fall so far behind their leader. Is the evidence coming in about whether we've got any less productive or more productive after the pandemic? The short answer is that it hasn't made a huge amount of difference. And there are lots of different effects going on here. Uh, and it's very difficult to know exactly what the counterfactual is. But there was a there was a big hit to, to productivity earlier on in the pandemic. But it, but it was a complicated one because any given firm, generally speaking, became less productive during the pandemic because they had to re-engineer their processes, incur extra costs to do with uh, social distancing and sanitation and so on. But... The firms that really had to shut down or shrink a great deal were disproportionately firms in leisure and hospitality industries. And those industries are less productive than the average one. So the amount of output produced per hour worked in leisure and hospitality is a lot lower than it is in, let's say, IT services. And so you've got two effects going on here. One is that any given IT service company um, is going to become less productive because of all of the extra faff. But the balance of the economy shifted towards those more productive firms. So you have like a a within firms effect, which is negative, and a between firms effect, which is positive. And those things operated a lot during the pandemic. But now as we move into this endemic phase, if you like, the, the productivity doesn't seem to have had huge lasting negative effects. The best evidence I've seen is that the effect will be of the order of like maybe half a percent productivity be half a percent lower in the long run because of uh, because of the pandemic and that's partly because in managing the pandemic people weren't managing their businesses and, and kind of growing them and thinking about all the different innovations that they could bring in uh, which are the drivers of productivity in the long run let's talk about the thing that neither of the main political parties wants to or believes it's politically possible to talk about brexit what impact has it had on productivity? Mm. So we think that the impact it has been uh, negative uh, of the order of several percent. 
we don't know exactly how much we're never going to know for sure but it's but it's it's sizable and it makes us poorer to an extent that massively outweighs 350 million a week that we were supposed to be sending to Brussels that I mean a the figure was never that big but b what we've lost in terms of our productivity is much much larger than the membership subs that we were paying to the club if you like that made us more productive in the first place and this has come through several different channels one is one of the ones that i mentioned earlier which is that investment really tanked straight after the referendum and has basically never recovered the evidence on trade and trade costs so the the best academic su- evidence suggests that two things right one is that trade makes you more productive and that's because it makes you specialize in the things you're good at so you're more productive on average and then secondly it uh, provides more competition so if there's a like a uk company that isn't very good at doing what it's doing uh, if it's easier for like a spanish or an italian company to to sell you those goods instead that poor company in the uk will have to improve or it will have to exit the market and in both cases that will tend to improve productivity so the reason that trade improves productivity is these two legs one is that trade improves productivity so you have more trade and then the second one is that brexit is going to make trade more expensive so you put those two things together brexit reduces trade trade improves productivity then you have brexit reduces productivity now the trade data have actually been quite difficult to interpret over the last two or three years and that's because there's been so much else going on so we've seen lots of distortions that come from the pandemic we've seen recently distortions that come from the war in Ukraine and what that's done to energy prices and food prices and patterns of trade to do with sanctions and you know uh, energy being uh, transported between countries that weren't doing it before and then also uh, unfortunately for nerds like me the the way that trade was measured uh, changed around the time of Brexit so interpreting the trade data is fiddly but i'm confident i'm sorry to say that Brexit will make trade harder because there's abundant anecdotal evidence and just you know if you have to fill in forms you know that it's going to dissuade you from doing something and then the the abundant evidence we have elsewhere which i think is quite widely accepted which is that trade improves productivity so it's been a perfect storm you know we've had brexit we've had covid we've got the cost of living crisis because of the ukraine war and other issues what can we actually do now if you were prime minister if you were jeremy hunt the chancellor what steps can we take to make us make ourselves more productive yeah, so that's that's a great question, and obviously that's the really important one. It's like, and I don't pretend that any of this is easy, nor that any of it is certain. I'd also say that while uh, Liz Truss uh, and Quasi Kwarteng were, um, you know, what they what they did didn't work out, and it isn't what I would have done. They, you know, they were onto something in some places. So, so one is to do with tax of companies. So what they did, if, if we recall correctly, is, is that they cut taxes a lot on companies and then they cut taxes on top earners. And the argument for what they were doing was on top earners, top earners are people who will respond by either you know moving to the UK or uh, changing what they do for, their, uh, for a living and they will innovate and those innovations will trickle down to the rest of the economy. And there is some evidence, in fact, that innovation does respond to tax. Uh, very good evidence uh, based on based on US. So that's kind of what they were doing. It, it, it didn't work out for for a number of reasons. That was the idea that they had in mind. And of course, you know, when you cut taxes, you need to figure out how you're going to pay for it. Generally speaking, those tax cuts don't always or immediately pay for themselves. So you need to figure out what you're going to cut in spending. A lot of what the government spends its money on also boosts productivity. So not only building roads, 
uh, and and staffing schools, which make people more productive, but also health, for example. We know that uh, there's a, a problem with the health of the United Kingdom workforce at the moment, and that's making them less productive. So I do think they were onto something in some areas. Uh, so if I was Chancellor, what would I do? I would probably cut taxes on investment rather than on profits to make it easier and a bit cheaper after tax for firms to invest more. I would look again at the planning system. So when people talk about how regulated the UK is, it's true that our labour markets aren't very highly regulated. It's true that our product markets aren't very highly re- regulated. But our system of land use in the United Kingdom is very highly regulated and planning is um, is expensive and costly and uh, subject to lots of delays. People focus on this a lot uh, when it comes to housing, but also business assets are really important. So about half of investment that there is in the country is in structures. And then the other half, if you want to build a machine or buy a machine, you need to put it somewhere. You need to put your business somewhere. So the way that we use land, we see shortages of lab space in Oxford and uh, around Oxford and Cambridge. We see people wanting to do uh, and start businesses in places where it's too expensive to do that because there isn't enough building. Then I would look at the systems of corporate governance in the UK. The owners of UK businesses are now often very geographically remote. They used to be mostly held by UK pension funds who were maybe more engaged. And I'm worried that um, the ownership of UK large firms has become disengaged and they're not supporting the managers and the other stakeholders to to do a good job. And then I would also look a, a little bit at finance for small businesses, where I still think lots of small businesses have difficulty getting money. And then I would ensure that there is a good supply of skills, a good supply of infrastructure, stable energy prices. And last but not least, I would try and make it easier, again, if possible, to trade with the European Union. I'm Ross Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now?, the politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in the New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, just for a bit of optimism, what are we good at in this country? What can we build on that we have a strong reputation in? What What's good about our position at the moment? That's a really important question. I'm so pleased you asked. Loads of things is the, is the answer. Like, while it's true that we're less productive than France or Germany, the US, we're still, you know, one of the more productive countries in the world when you look all the way across the world. And it's important to keep that in mind that the average UK worker is still way more productive than the average worker in most of the other countries in the world, including the, you know, the big ones, the Nigerias, Brazils, India's, China's. And we have loads of strengths. So we're the second largest exporter of services in the world. Services isn't just things like banking or insurance, but also broader business services like consultancy, legal services, intellectual property and creative services. So we have these cultural exports, which are kind of world renowned, partly to do with our our language, but then also to do with just the incredible creativity of of uh, the British people. Uh, and you know, we're this boom in uh, TV production that comes from. Uh, streaming TV, a lot of that's being made in the UK. So we're, we're really good at those things. We have like world-class universities and these are all exports or things that can turn into 
or be used to support exports. So we have massive strengths in creative industries, in services more broadly, um, and then in some uh, parts of manufacturing uh, or things which are related to manufacturing. So life sciences, we're very good at making whiskey and uh, some aerospace as well. So we have plenty of strengths. So we shouldn't be too dismal. But I think the problem is that we've taken too many of these strengths for, for granted uh, over recent years, and we haven't thought carefully enough about how to deepen and broaden. You know, I was driving through the Chilterns at the weekend and I saw a sign uh, in a field begging uh, for that field not to become a new fil- a film studio. And in some ways, mm. that does seem to sum up what you've been talking about <laughs> in terms yeah. of uh, yeah. planning and, and the constraints it, it, it puts on us growing. Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Goodbye. If you want to make the bunker even more productive, then you can support us by donating a small amount on a monthly basis. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. The Bunker Daily was presented by Ros Taylor. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with additional production from Jack Gerbertson, Katya Tomashevich, and me, Alex Reese. Our marketing manager was Gina Richard. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.